0: Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is the third part of a series of Why I Am Catholic, and this one is called My Personal Herschel Walker Trade. One day it dawned on me, after a long journey of having fallen away and then having returned to the faith of a child as best I could, I had made the worst trade imaginable. I had doubts about a few people and some political issues, so I ditched God. Uh, I had doubts about something of this world, so I turned away from the creator of it. I saw the faults of some human beings or current events or pain in the world, so I decided to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And after all, I wanted knowledge, so I put science in God's place. And I thought I had made a good trade. I thought I had made a great trade. And in hindsight, this is baffling to me. Now, I'm from Minnesota. Uh, The Herschel Walker trade... Uh, destroyed the Minnesota Vikings for years. But that was a better deal than what I got in return for my trade. And why is that? Because I didn't even get an aging football player. I got a false freedom and a false self, or in other words, literally nothing in return. I traded wonder for nihilism. I traded mystery for a fake certainty. At least the Minnesota Vikings had that first glorious day where Herschel Walker busted out for monster yardage over the Green Bay Packers before everything fell apart. Uh, Everyone can probably remember his shoe flying off. If you're from Minnesota, this is like uh, folklore, like Paul Bunyan. It's Herschel Walker's first day with the Vikings. And that was the end of it. The Dallas Cowboys used that trade as the cornerstone to building one of the greatest sports dynasties in NFL history. But... I won't go too far into the modern sports uh, idolatry, otherwise I'll di- I digress here, so let me move on. Um, I suddenly knew why there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. Why were there two trees? I remember passing over that thinking, what's the point of that? One was for knowledge, and the other was for life. There was a tree of knowledge and a tree of life. Somehow, I made a bad choice, and I passed over the tree of life in favor of the tree of knowledge. Here's uh, Genesis 2, out of the ground, the Lord God made grow every tree that was delightful to look at and good for food with the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, you are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree, you shall not eat. And when you eat from it, you shall die. What a shame to think that we were allowed to eat from the tree of life and chose the other one. We traded life for knowledge. Now that has to be one of the worst trades in history. And again, reading Genesis, you can read it literally if you like, but you'll get much more out of it if you use the four senses of scripture that Catholics use, which is the literal, moral, allegorical, and Fourth, how it relates to Jesus. Those four ways make for a much richer reading. If you're doing one-shot literalism like fundamentalists do, you're not going to get much out of it. The tree of life kind of reminds me of the bread of life, and both of those seem to leap out at me from Genesis and the gospel. It's like with the bread of life, we were given a second chance at life. We were shown a way back to that first fall where a new choice could be made by each person and not just Adam. In fact, it's even kind of interesting because the garden of Eden story uses kind of a hunter gatherer metaphor and living in the agricultural age, when Jesus was alive, it uses a bread metaphor. It's like that progressive revelation idea, changing of human history. Jesus kind of arrives in the middle of human history. Um, The hunter gatherer, we're plucking things off trees Uh, in the bread of life. We're creating our own bread now um you know we get this choice we get the choice between these two Uh, i said we were shown back away a way back to that first fall um where a new choice could be made by every one of us not just adam and once again we can choose we could trade that bread of life or we could believe and we could eat it and believe it and live that is exactly why the world caught fire with faith in jesus he brought back the tree of life and oddly he was the fruit He offers a new life, and I'm using the present tense on purpose here, the presence of a living God. Living God is the only one that makes a difference because a living God can be known and interacted with. A relationship can be formed. Once that occurs, every single instant of your life then changes because once you believe and eat the bread of life, every decision matters and you are no longer just a mind or just a soul or just a body You're much more than just a clump of cells, and that is a wonderful thing to realize. You are fully alive, activated, and full of meaning. You get to undo your personal Herschel Walker trade that the Minnesota Vikings never could do. Now, clearly the message of Jesus has a staying power unlike anything else, and it's because of this discovery, this redo, this leveling up that we get to do, to use gamer speak with the enlightenment the focus on the human rather than the the divine took giant leaps forward in revolt against that strange success of christianity which had produced the world's greatest art music and architecture now collectively we started to choose the tree of knowledge again over the tree of life over faith and faith leads to life and knowledge leads to the enslavement and really the sacralizing of our desires. We try to make our our desires into sacraments and they are not. Like most things, success leads to pride and corruption. Familiarity breeds contempt. That's a famous line. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. We can throw out various uh, proverbs, but familiarity breeds contempt. The message of Christ became so familiar to us that it bored us, I suppose. So we sought knowledge. Now, seeing bad examples of Christians in them acting in the world flattened out the message. Not to mention when the Protestant thing started, every heresy that ever was became sort of enshrined in some local church again. So the idea of Christianity is so misinformed and confused that we don't even recognize it anymore. Now, seeing hypocrites preach morality, that extracts the gunpowder from the canon, And it's no wonder that God says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's from Revelations. I like that. If you're lukewarm, he's going to spew you out of the mouth. He'd rather have you be hot or cold. He'd rather have you be a faithful believer or basically not believing at all. (laughs) Just as think of lukewarm coffee kind of lacks its reason for existence. You got to heat it up um, or just dump it out. So does the church. The joy of discovering the source of life cannot be served lukewarm. Now, given that human beings have always made up the church's body, it's no surprise that pride and envy and greed and lust and such things infect the church whenever it uh, comes really too close to power. Um, It gets off track. It ticks its eyes off of Christ. Also, Uh, These things invade us whenever the church becomes an undemanding meh kind of church for its followers. No one really wants an undemanding Catholicism. No one really wants an undemanding God, actually, I think. Um, it's, It's actually ridiculous to watch if it's not demanding. So that's why it's sad to observe the lukewarm Catholic who's indifferent to the Eucharist or indifferent to confession or indifferent to the resurrection where it's all just symbolism. That's a a meaningless faith, but it is a thing of beauty and joy to see a humble man or woman living in observance who approaches the faith with reverence, obedience, and the faith of a child and is joyful. If you don't believe me, you probably haven't met any of these people yet, but they do exist, I promise you, and the joy is real. There is nothing appealing at all of a church with drunk, horny, and obese followers who live a life of debauchery while they store up treasures on earth. Um, Stories of of, uh, alcoholic priests definitely destroyed many people's faith. And how could it not? I always say how many of the sex abuse scandals were uh, started with with too much uh, wine, too much booze, um, scotch, whatever, cigars. There was a lot of stories about that back then. I will guarantee you alcohol was involved in a lot of that. now, I'm sorry if I sound kind of crude about this, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. There is a great appeal, however, to a church where the rich and poor worship side by side, who fast and pray, who believe in chastity, who stand equally in line for confession and the Eucharist. There is great appeal where there are joyful believers working for the kingdom of God, even when, and especially when, they realize that their efforts are pitiful compared to what God can do. And that is why you have the repeated cycle of reformers like saint benedict way way back saint anthony of egypt way way back in time and a thousand others along the way who retreat to a desert or a cave or a monastery and start over because when the culture and the church turn away from god god calls his sheep and they hear his voice the message gets lost in the culture somehow just like it is right now and it needs a reset button to return it to what made it grow in the first place and that is the demands of orthodoxy that led nearly every apostle to a brutal end, most of the saints as well. uh, Once I started to read more and more from the early era of Christianity, it became clear that what I had known as Christianity did not match up at all. Not at all. And later I found out that these people still exist today, quite a few of them. I just hadn't met them yet. The undemanding faith I observed around me was not what the early church taught or experienced. In fact, most of Paul's letters are, he's saying, you're not doing this thing right, you're, something's off here, you know. Um, In addition, I learned that this idealized world of Greece and Rome was left behind for a reason. There was nothing ideal about the pre-Christian world. It was a brutal slugfest of might makes right. You could say it was Nietzsche's will to power before Nietzsche. Something better had been found in the Trinitarian God, in Jesus, than that of the serial rapist God named Zeus, who was really just a useless fertility storm God. That will-to-power idea, the awful idea that German philosophers resurrected um, in the 19th century, was not just a bad product that the Romans were pitching and using, it was a bad product in every age, including right now, wherever it was applied. The will to power is always pitched as a solution to our problems, as if it would get our dishes clean, but it's not a solution at all. It's a pure acid that eats through whatever it touches. It destroys itself in the end. Other religions in the ancient world didn't offer anything close to what Jesus did. The same goes for our modern religions. Harry Potter doesn't offer much. Star Wars, Um, Peloton, not going to save you. Money, not going to save you. The reason Jesus won over the world is because he has a far better story than Buddhism, Islam, humanism, or anything else. But it's much more than a pitch or a product. He himself is the product. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what's so weird about it. That is what's so radically strange about Jesus. And that is the whole point of every article that I'm putting on this site or blogging or podcast, whatever. It's just so odd, all of it. The pitch. The demonstration, the purchase, the application, the usage, and the result. All of it is strange, and all of it works as advertised. It does everything. It just works. I mean, what else can I say? He is the way. In his person, that is the truth. And through him, we get new life. Sorry, uh, Mandalorian fans. Quick interjection. Jesus was referred to as the way long before Disney tried to make it a Star Wars thing. Um, with, I'll have, I will have proof here on about six different references from Acts of the Apostles. But then again, cultural appropriation and fake plastic faces is Disney's whole game. So let's just move on. Nothing to see here. Sorry, Mandalorian fans. The way was from Christians. Uh, in, the fa- in, the, in the last few centuries, we were like fish swimming in the water called Christendom. We've taken for granted that our current ideas ideas sprung to life out of the Renaissance or the Romantics or modern science, but it's actually the opposite. All of those things only sprung forth because they drank from the river of life. Our modern ideas could have only come to life in the world that Christianity created. We look at the flaws and we call it ugly without realizing how far we have come. Worse, We look at the flaws and lump all Christian actions over the last 500 years into a blob called Christianity when there were clearly denominations poisoning the well. We pretend that faithfulness in relationships, helping foreigners, building hospitals, educating youth, being humble, loving your neighbors, all of that we pretend came about in spite of Christianity. But the truth is that none of these things existed in the ancient world because of the lack of Christianity. All of the things we celebrate as fruits of modernity only exist because Jesus came here to show us how to live and inspired joy in millions of his followers to love their wives, to pray for enemies, to heal the sick, to feed the poor, and keep his commandments. None of those things came about from any other ideology except for the parent religion of Judaism. They're closely linked, obviously. Um, the reason people hate reading the Old Testament is because they think that, The laws of Israel were brutal and cruel, but in reality, they were by far the most humane in the ancient world, not only to women, but also widows, orphans, and foreigners. We just read it with a lens from today instead of understanding the context of the world they were living in and writing it in. We read it like a science book, um, and, and we're not getting things out of it when we read it that way. Jesus put all of that into hyperdrive as he corrected and encouraged all the good things that modern atheists and agnostics assume came from the Enlightenment, which it did not. Taking this Christendom, this water that we were swimming in for granted, has brought us to a strange place where we speak like Puritans, but sin like Samson. We want our world to be like Burger King, where their slogan is, have it your way. But there is only one king, even over Burger King, who I now consider to be as significant as any other president or prime minister. The Burger King is not the real king. The real king is the one who created a world where Burger King can exist and every other atom Adam, Adam in this universe. And while we swim in the waters of Christendom, we have started to deny that there is water. First, now I'm going to go off into some Protestant critiques. The mistake of faith alone or sola fide, it clipped the wings of authentic body and soul Christianity. And now, even faith itself has become the taboo, as many have switched over from sola sola fide to sola ratio, or reason alone. That's the thing that's happened. That is the new sola uh, that our age has manufactured. So we're like goldfish, speaking with our mouths full of water, and pretending there's no such thing as water. Faith cannot be admitted, not at work, not at school, not even in polite company for the most part. And why is that? Because it means signing our names to superstition and belief in the supernatural. And Catholics don't believe in superstition. People pin that tail on the donkey all the time, but it's not true. Um, But as far as us believing in the supernatural, we can't even... that's, That's really looked down on. That is a betrayal of modernity, where psychology and sociology has all the answers. As long as you're willing to take enough pills and shell out for therapy and adhere to corporate human resources doctrine. Admitting you believe in ghosts and spirits and the devil is social suicide. And death is, once again, something to fear. And by reason alone, we must stave off that monster. You have to notice how much we avoid death in our culture. There's no open casket funerals. There's no, you never see any animals butchered. Um, We've really, we're really so afraid of death. We can't even consider, think about it, look at it, anything. Even the elderly are tucked away so we don't have to see them. We don't see that part of life, which is a very big part of life. We make, we've made a crappy trade, the Herschel Walker trade, um, because death no longer brought fear because we were just pretending it's not there. We only have this life in the reason alone worldview. Thus, we have to save ourselves. It's always the same problem, though. It's about control. We want control because we don't want to surrender to God and trust in the promises of Christ. That is the Herschel Walker trade we make. We choose knowledge and this life instead of trusting in god for eternal life and instead of moving back toward the tree of eternal life and i fell for all the modern fruit the sales pitch and demo really took me in and i bought the product i presume that everyone from the year 30 a.d and onward until we finally got to the renaissance And people like Voltaire and Newton and Martin Luther was little more than a God-fearing idiot under the cruel yoke of a power-hungry pope or a bully king. Now, that is not entirely untrue because corrupt popes and Christian kings certainly existed and they will exist again. They are human beings, after all. That's one thing we like to pretend that um, we're either on the right side of history now. Everyone is moral that's over here and everyone over there is immoral. Um, you're all immoral. Everyone is. Let's let's just cut the chase. And uh, realizing you're a sinner and recognizing it is a liberating thing. Human beings are corrupt. They fall. The falls in the church have been significant and should never be swept under a rug, ever, as the church must be held to a higher standard because it is the body of Christ in this world. The failings of individuals and leaders come as no surprise, however, if you understand what the fall of man actually means what original sin is, what our our leaning towards sin means. I don't think most people do understand it today as groupings of people are now getting assigned flaws like they're elitist, they're racist, they're ignorant, they're hateful, as if the other groups are not. The not so hidden secret of original sin is that everyone has it. All humans have flaws, all people abuse power, all people find scapegoats and cheerleaders, and the only person that didn't was Jesus. So what do we do? try to imitate him. Some or many have used God as a means to malicious ends. Yes, I'm talking about the televangelists and charlatans that prey on souls under the guise of Christianity, but that doesn't negate the reason for faith, the reason for hope. God exists whether or not someone commits a crime or has a flaw that we don't appreciate. He still exists outside of space and time. That's where we make the bad trade. A clerk who steals from a cash register doesn't mean that we should burn the whole retail store down. Or for a more crude example, a pimple on your nose doesn't mean you should cut your nose off or that all noses should be removed because they may get a pimple. The faith and morals of the church still stand and they're true. They are right and just. Time does not alter these truths. What the church lays out as the guidance on faith and morals remains true. And for those angry about the church's position on these matters, The Pope and the priests are simply echoing the words of Jesus and the tradition of the apostles. Everyone likes Jesus, but most people only like him as long as he doesn't demand anything from them. But he does demand action from us. If you read the Gospels, he does. And people like to just pretend he's the Big Lebowski and you can do whatever you want. That is not, (laughs) if you actually read it, that is not what he is like at all. Popular opinion does not alter these truths. So no matter what modern French philosophers or internet influencers tell us, the purpose of sex is to create children and marriage is a divine sacrament. If you believe Jesus is the son of God, fully divine and fully human, you really have to actually read the words that he says and not invent interpretations. And you also cannot purely interpret it by yourself. Jesus and the apostles took care of that for us. And the Pope and the church carries that interpretation forward. They are the keepers of the faith and morals, the tradition. The urge to twist and manipulate the words only happens because we want to sin. And those who dispute what the gospel says and the apostolic interpretation of it, they will all be forgotten within a century or so. Maybe one or two names will stick around. But of all of the noise is much ado about nothing. If you find your way through the multimedia minefield to the truth and see Christ as God, then all of the hubbub no longer matters. But the reality is that God will find you if you are a seeker of truth. And I believe many, many atheists and agnostics are actually that exact thing. And if they read the gospel with an open mind and heart and ask for willingness to be willing, God will call to them. That's how it works. He's probably even calling to them now in that whole saying of, I'd rather have you be hot or cold than lukewarm the atheists are cold and he will call them first but it requires action on our part to cooperate with god's grace we are the ones that must lay our guns on the table and undress and turn to face god fully naked flaws and all that's how you turn back show it like they say when 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 light is coming through a window and you won't see all the dust until that light hits a certain way. And all of a sudden you see the flaws. That's kind of what it's like when you turn back to God. And it's, it's, it's scary, but it's a good thing. Of course, we'll all be judged within a century. And God will take care of the judging. I am as concerned my, for myself as any atheist due to many sins committed by myself. Um, even ones that are confessed, some still linger and bother me. Uh, while the sacrament of confession assures me those things are forgiven I believe that the effect of those sins still dart about the world for which I hope to be purified to the last penny in purgatory that's going to include that's going to end this episode thanks for listening everyone I'll see you on the next one we'll continue this series uh, with a few more episodes to go thanks